Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. The title of my little short mini sermon tonight is A Last Request. Yeah, what kind of a title is that? Different. Let's just put it that way. But it'll come together. It'll make sense. Father, thank you for every time that we can study your word. We just believe for ears that hear it, hearts to receive it, minds to understand it and know it, change us by it. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. When it comes to having a last request, people respond in different ways. If you're on death row, for example, uh, you might have someone come along and say, Is your, what's your last request? And they might say, well, I have my favorite meal. Someone else might say, well, I'd like to have a conversation with someone, like maybe a minister or someone like that. Another might say that I'd like to talk to somebody about taking care of a certain loved one that I'm going to be leaving behind, something like that, and many other things that people say. And you think about when Jesus was on the cross, he was dying. What did he do? He said, woman, behold your son. And son, behold your mother. A thought. Do you know he didn't call her mother? He called her a woman. Ever think that maybe he did that because he knew she'd be venerated? And he just wanted people to know that this is another woman that he used to be brought into the world. And so he said, woman, not mother. But then he said, John, now take care of her like she's your mother. And so whenever that is made, whenever that request to say is, is asked, what happens? The person that makes the request is affected by it. And then also the people or person that's going to be involved in bringing the request to pass has a part to play in it as well. So can you imagine what John's life might have been like for the next 11 years? We understand that about 11 years she lived after the crucifixion. And he had to take, either took her in or lived with her or however it transpired. We don't really know. There's not much said about that. But we do know this. He didn't ask his brothers to take care of her. Why? They didn't believe on him. He was leaving. They didn't believe on him. So he asked John to do so. He knew that he was in she was in good hands with him. Well, look at John's gospel, chapter 17, because among other things, he did have this request. Now, he requested that he would be restored as far as his glory was concerned. This is his high priestly prayer, the last prayer that he prayed. Okay. And then also, he, think about this one. He requested that his followers would see him in his glory. At the end of the chapter, I thought about that. You've seen me, in other words, in the earth. You've seen me as a human, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But Father, he's prayed, he said, I, I want them to be where I'm at, that they would see my glory. Imagine that. 
That was a desire that he had as well. But notice these verses. Let's read the verses first. John chapter 17, verses 11, and then 20 through 23. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Now what's the request? That they may be one as we are one. As we are one. Okay, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as hast loved me. Five times he makes mention of this. Five times in these verses. If he said it one time, it'd be important. If he said it twice, maybe a little more emphasis. But five times a dying man's request. To facilitate that is going to require the father doing his part and then believers doing their part. Imagine that. How is this going to unfold? How is this going to take place? Once again, this is the last time that Jesus is going to be upon the earth. He's about to die. And this is his dying request. I really want them to be one as we are. And the word as actually means equal to. In other words, to the same level or degree that you and I are one, I want everyone else who believes on me to be one. That is my last request. Okay. He says it five times. He makes it very clear. But now, if you want to define it this way, we could say it like this. He's talking about being one, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, one heart, one mind, one accord, one voice, one purpose, People coming together as the body of Christ in a spirit of unity, which creates a habitation for God in a powerful way to accomplish and achieve his purposes in the earth among the people. Remember in Acts chapter 4 when they were all in unity and they prayed together when they were persecuted for the healing of the lame man in chapter 3? The place was shaken when they were assembled together and they all spake the word of God with boldness. And also, they all were of one heart, one mind, one accord, great power, great grace was upon them. If we want to achieve that, if any church group or the whole body of Christ, you could say collectively and globally, wants to achieve that, it requires unity. It requires people becoming one as Jesus prayed. But now notice, it's the Father doing something and then believers doing something. Two words I'm going to point out as we look at those two verses again. Chapter 17, 22 and 23. Can we throw those back up, Paul? And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one. You notice where oneness comes from? The glory I gave them. The glory he gave them 
that they would be one, even as we are one. When we think in terms of the glory, we thank God for His glory, His divine presence, His manifested presence. But this is a work of the Spirit in the lives of people that's attributed to the glory of God that causes people to be of one heart, one mind, one accord, one purpose, goal, and desire, and that is to honor our Savior who died for us. So he goes on to say, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. So in other words, maturing in unity. And that the world may know, look at the objective, that thou hast sent me as thou, thou hast sent me and hast loved them as you've loved me. Hmm. Now we have another word. Glory is one. And now we've got love. That the world would know you've sent me and you love them as you love me. Notice the new uh, commandment of the new covenant is what? You ever think about it? You take the Ten Commandments, they haven't changed. So what's new about this new covenant? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, that's not new. He said that in the Old Testament. But now here's the new part. Love one another even as I have loved you. He raises the bar on love. Not as you love yourself. But now, as I have loved you. So in other words, the, it should be impacting us this way. When I see what my Savior did, and you see what your Savior did for you, what sacrifice are we willing to make to achieve this kind of unity that he's talking about? What are we willing to do to cooperate with a man's last request? What does it mean for me as an individual? Now, just think about the body of Christ today. We can't even get it together on how we view a lot of things. We should hear some amens here. And why? Why? One time I talked about a certain subject with family member, and you think I was the devil. But they claim to be a Christian. And I'm wondering, what Bible are you reading? What Bible are you reading? God established the government of the world. God created us and has a right to govern us. And if he says, have no strange gods before me, then guess what? Don't have any gods before him. If he says no graven images, then guess what? No graven images. If he says don't take my name in vain, then don't take his name in vain. If he says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, then do what he said. But then he said honor your father and your mother. It has a commandment with a promise that it be well with you and you live long on the earth. And then the rest, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, all that. And yet, in our society, even in our Christian society today, it's, I think it's almost like we'll just live while we want to live and do what we want to do. That's what we're facing right now. 
I believe there's going to be a separation, the light from the darkness, and there's going to be people having to make a choice. How do you want to live? Whether it comes to abortion, I would think that all Christians would be in the same, on the same page, that you save human life. And I've heard some that say, save the dog, save the whale, save the this, save the that, but it's okay to kill the babies. Come on, that's good preaching, whether you want to hear it or not. Right? What's so hard about thou shalt not kill? There's nothing hard about that whatsoever. Can you say amen? amen. All right. The glory. Jesus gave us his glory to make us one. And notice glory. Why is it glory? Because it's not going to be automatic. As we look into the word of God and commit ourselves to what God says to do and how he says to live our lives, what happens to us? We're changed from glory to glory. Glory to glory. You realize the more we line up with the word of God and the commandments of God, there's more glory that's on us? When we make a decision to do things God's way, there's more glory that's going to rest upon us? Oh, I don't have to give. doesn't matter. Whether I, I'll give the way I want to. No, honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of your increase. I can honor God being at home. I don't have to be in church. Really? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If we step up and step out and start doing things the way God wants us to do, what about forgive one another as you've been forgiven? What about holding no bitterness in your heart? Because if you do, all these awful things spring up and defile you. Right? So what's he saying to us? We want to be changed from glory to glory. And that comes by the glory of God in us as we respond to the word of God, act upon the word of God and say, you know what? Change me. I have a problem in that area in my life. Change me. It might be anger. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Get it done, over with. Get it done. Go to the person. Right? Right? <laughs> Get forgiveness and so on and so forth. And then when it comes to love, God loves us even as he loved Jesus. That means with the same love that he loves the son, he loves every single one of us. And we all need to know that. So when we know we have the glory in us and we know that he loves us as he loves Jesus, these two things working together in our lives enable us to love as he loved us. And it promotes unity among the people. Does it mean we're all perfect? No, we're not all perfect. Is anyone perfect? No, just Jesus is perfect. Right? He's the only one that's perfect. What does it mean? That we get it right when we do it wrong. That we repent and say, God, forgive me, you know, and cleanse me in the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to live my life in such a way so as to hold you in the highest esteem, to regard your commandments and laws and statutes and judgment, to live the way you want me to live and do what you want me to do. So why? So I can be someone who is a positive influence to others to create unity within the body of Christ. Why? Because ultimately, we want you to show up. Amen. Well, a couple of things. Are we willing to sacrifice what is necessary to accomplish that goal, to achieve that? And like I said, what does it mean? It might mean, hey, forgive me, I'm sorry for what I've done, etc. Or, hey, you're right, I should be assembling myself together with other believers because that's what the Bible teaches. Or, yes, you know what, I should give to support the work of God. Or maybe I should get involved and do this or do that or whatever. Take my place as a productive fruit-bearing branch in the vine to give to God what talents and abilities that he's given me to use them for the advancement of his kingdom. If anything, just come to church and pray. Use your voice to pray, to believe God. So his desire is for believers to mature in unity. What does unity do? 
It creates a habitation for God. It empowers us to carry out the purpose of his will in an easier way. It creates a force that Satan cannot penetrate in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It helps us fulfill our dreams and our goals when people come together in unity. And I can't think of anything that promotes unity more than people worshiping God together. What does this do? The world then is exposed to and convinced by what we believe in. Jesus is exalted in every way. People can actually see. What did he say? That the world would see. Isn't that your longing desire? That even as an individual it should be, but as a church body, what, is, what do people see? God's love. God manifesting himself. Amen. 